0: Lord we bless you and praise you for the time we can have together in, uh, in, in praising uh, your name uh, through uh, the, the songs we've sung, through the prayers, through the reading of your word and we pray that as we come to the preaching of, the, of your word now we, we pray that it will be declared uh, faithfully and accurately and that you would minister that word to each one of us. Uh, We pray that you would glorify yourself uh, through the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning. Continue with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, from our New Testament reading uh, this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find uh, in verse 1 that uh, Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Thessalonians. Church on behalf of of himself, uh, Silas and uh, also Timothy, and it begins by giving thanks to God for the church uh, for the believers there at Thessalonica. Um, he says, and I 'm reading from the New King James version, so I hope that's not uh, uh, too confusing for anyone, but he says in verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all. Now, why did he give thanks to God for the Thessalonian believers? And that's the question we want to answer uh, this morning. We want to look at the reasons why Paul, Silas, and Timothy gave thanks to God for them and, so, and learn some lessons for ourselves. So the, the sermon is entitled, uh, Three Indispensable Graces. And our text is uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 to 4. But before we begin to answer the question, we need to understand a couple of things about this church. We need to understand that the church had been planted by uh, Paul uh, during his, uh, his second missionary journey, uh, along with Silas and probably Timothy also. We also need to understand that it had been planted in the midst of uh, much uh, opposition and persecution. Now, the account of all, all of that is given in Acts 17, which we won't go into in, in any detail uh, for the sake of time this morning, but, but you can read it for yourself. But Acts 17 records for us the, uh, the arrival of the missionaries in the Greek city of Thessalonica, where uh, we're told that uh, Paul preached the gospel of Christ in the synagogue uh, for three Sabbaths. And then uh, many were persuaded, many among the Jews, sorry, among the Greeks rather, uh, were persuaded and believed the gospel. And then as a result of that, opposition came. Opposition came from the unbelieving Jews who, who became uh, envious of Paul's success and they, uh, they violently attacked those who supported the missionaries. They caused a great deal of trouble for uh, the new believers uh, especially for a man named Jason who uh, who accommodated the, the missionaries in his home. <clears throat> and then when the missionaries moved on to the next town, to, to Berea, the unbelieving Jews followed them again and uh, again caused them a great deal of trouble. And all that uh, is to say that the church at Thessalonica was, was planted in the midst of very, uh, heavy uh, opposition and persecution and, and they continued to experience that, uh, that persecution um, after, even after the initial stages we see evidence of that in the letter itself for example in chapter 2 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 we told <clears throat> or Paul's words rather uh, are this for you brethren became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. The church had been planted in the midst of uh, much persecution and had continued to face persecution. And Paul was concerned. Paul was so concerned that he sent Timothy to check on their welfare and, and report back to him. And much of chapter 3 relates these things. Let me read uh, some verses from chapter 3. Let me read verses 5 to 8. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 5 to 8. He says this, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means a tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, And brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Timothy did report back to Paul, and he reported that all was well. They were steadfast in their faith and love, and they were standing fast in the Lord. And so Paul could write the words of our text, uh, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. These are the things that he was looking for when he sent Timothy to check on them. He sent him to find evidence of their walk with the Lord. And Timothy came back with good news. There was evidence of faith, of love, and of hope. <clears throat> we can see this, uh, We can see from this why there was good reason for uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to give thanks to God. It was a church that was uh, no doubt uh, very dear in, uh, to the missionaries. Uh, because they were instrumental in planting it Uh, and they themselves had known by experience the hardships and the persecutions that the church had faced so when Paul received uh, Timothy's Timothy's report that they were progressing well thanksgiving was offered to the Lord now let's also note how they did how they gave thanks how did they give thanks what does our text say? Well, Paul firstly says that they gave thanks to the Lord uh, always. In other words, continually and regularly. Always says the apostle in verse two, and he's he's obviously speaking of prayer. <clears throat> the suggestion from Paul's words is that the three of them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, and perhaps others joined with them together, prayed and thanks and gave thanks to the Lord. For the Thessalonian believers, I would suggest that they had a, a regular uh, prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting, in which they prayed for them. Now, that didn't exclude uh, private uh, prayers for them, of course, but there's certainly a suggestion of a, a, a group prayer meeting held on a on a regular basis, which included prayer for mm-hmm. the Thessalonians. <clears throat> but then we told something about, <clears throat> excuse me, something about the content. Of these prayers Uh, in their regular prayers they gave thanks to God always for the Thessalonian believers by making mention of them in their prayers we told in verse 2 they made mention of them in their prayers this implies that they remembered the believers um, at Thessalonica calling to mind who they were what their circumstances were uh, especially their spiritual welfare and growth it implies that they prayed for them uh, specifically, probably by name They, uh, they, pro- they brought their particular uh, circumstances in prayer to the Lord uh, The prayers weren't just general in nature But specific to their circumstances <clears throat> We're also told that they gave thanks to God By continually, uh, frequently, repeatedly recalling the evidences of three specific graces, those three specific graces that we've mentioned, their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. There were three specific graces and their fruits that Paul, Silas, and Timothy saw in the lives of the believers and they gave thanks to God for them. Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Now I want to examine each of these uh, three graces in turn, but let me first make some uh, general comments about uh, faith, love, and hope. Uh, These are graces which are given by God, and what we mean by graces is simply those virtues which God imparts to believers uh, to enable us to live as his people. Uh, Repentance, faith, kindness, mercy, self-control, love, spiritual understanding, wisdom, and so on and so forth are graces given by God and we are to be diligent to use those graces and to nurture them and to develop and exercise them in our lives and to grow uh, to grow in holiness, grow in those graces. <clears throat> now there are many graces and we've just named just a few and all of which... We are to nurture and develop in in our Christian lives. But there seems to be something special about the, the three graces mentioned here, faith, love, and hope. The association between them is no mere coincidence because they're connected in several other passages of the New Testament. <clears throat> and I'm sure many of you uh would have uh, remembered uh, the, the, the first and, and I guess the most famous of the three re- of the references of these three in the chapter on love 1 Corinthians chapter 13 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ends with uh, these words and now abide faith, hope, love these three but the greatest of these is love and there are those three graces again faith, hope, love. You may have noticed that the order in 1 Corinthians is different to the order in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Corinthians lists them as faith, hope, love. 1 1 Thessalonians lists them as faith, love, hope. I think there is an interesting, helpful explanation, which is this. In 1 Corinthians 13, the the focus of the chapter is on love. And the climactic end of the chapter, in in verse 13, is that love is the greatest of the three. In our text, in 1 Thessalonians, the climactic end is hope because of what follows in the letter. Paul's letter is about persevering in the face of uh, trial and persecution. So in this case, hope is of utmost importance. Without hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming, the Thessalonians would have struggled to persevere, which, is, which we'll discuss in a short while. Uh, hope, hope was vitally important for them in their circumstances. <clears throat> I think it will be helpful to keep that in mind as we uh, proceed through the sermon. But to return to the association between uh, faith, love, and hope, the, the three are linked again in, in other passages uh, Colossians 1 uh, 3 to 5, and also 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. And the focus on these three graces in several passages suggests that there is something special about them. I would suggest that it's because they're indispensable, they're indispensable graces. That is, they are essential graces to the life of a believer, all three of them. You can see that from the letter itself, from the context of the letter. As as we mentioned earlier, uh, Paul sent Timothy to check on the welfare of the Thessalonians and report back to him. Uh, Chapter 3, or in chapter 3, Paul says that he was comforted When Timothy brought back news of their faith and love, and also that they were standing firm in the Lord, which is standing firm in the Lord is a fruit of hope, as we shall see shortly. And my assertion is that Paul sent Timothy to look for those things that are vital for spiritual health and growth, namely faith, love, and hope. He wasn't looking for evidence of of great spiritual gifts. Those things are not indispensable. He was looking for faith, love and hope. They are indispensable. And therefore that's what he looked for. And that's what they thanked God for. The focus on these three graces in the New Testament and Paul's desire to see uh, evidence of them in the Thessalonian believers infers that they are indispensable graces Therefore, therefore they must be present uh, to some measure in every believer <clears throat> Well let's look at each one in turn Let's look at uh, the three indispensable graces uh, and their fruits uh, For which the missionaries gave thanks for And the first, the first one is the Thessalonians' work of faith that's my first uh, point, uh, work of faith. And let's consider firstly the the grace itself, faith, and then the fruit of the grace. Uh, What is faith? In simple terms, it is uh, trust, and we heard it from the children, it is trust or belief in God and His Word. And it's absolutely indispensable in relation to salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 that was. There is no salvation, there is no forgiveness of sin without faith, without repentance from sin and trusting in Christ through faith in him. We can find no acceptance with God without exercising faith, That is, by believing his word that any who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and exercise faith in him will be saved. Faith is indispensable to salvation. It's indispensable to the forgiveness of our sins. And without faith, God will not receive us. Let me ask by way of application, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Have you repented from sin and called on the Lord to forgive you and save you from a punishment due to your sin. And if you haven't, it doesn't matter what other virtues you have. If you don't have faith, it doesn't matter what other virtues you may display in your life, whether it's kindness or love to others, whether it's self-control, whether it's anything else, discipline, whatever it may be, decency. Faith is where it must begin because without it, God will not receive you. And you need to call upon him to have mercy upon you. You must exercise faith in Christ in order to be saved. Of course, our faith doesn't end when we're saved. We don't merely exercise faith in Christ, be saved, that's the end of it. On the contrary, it must grow and develop because without it, Without faith, it is impossible to please God throughout our Christian lives, according to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Well, that's the grace itself. That's the grace itself. But we need to note that the emphasis of a text is not so much on the graces themselves, but on the resultant fruit or the products of the graces. The emphasis is on what faith produces and on what love produces and on what hope produces. Producers. Paul stated that, that he, Silas, and Timothy gave thanks to God for the fruit that was evident in the lives of these believers. <clears throat> so we need to turn our attention to the fruit of, of faith, which is work. Paul refers to their work of faith. Uh, what does he mean? Well, Paul gives thanks to God because he can see that the faith of the Thessalonians is not Uh, It's not merely theoretical. It's not expressed merely by their lips. The Thessalonians didn't merely declare that they were believers by their words, but they did so by the lives they lived. They displayed their genuine belief in Christ by the way they lived their lives. Uh, James, um, the book of James, expresses this idea in very clear terms when it says in James 2.26... Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, we can talk all we like about having faith and even strong faith in Christ, but if it doesn't show itself in our works, in the way we live, in the way we conduct ourselves, at home, at church, at school or university, uh, in the workplace, if it doesn't show itself in our attitudes and words ...and works and actions, then our faith is dead. It's not real, because real faith results in a life of obedience to God and in holy living. And all believers are to demonstrate work of faith in their lives. All believers. All believers. All of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord, as the one in whom we trust for the forgiveness of our sins have faith in him as our savior we are all to display works that result from faith the Thessalonians displayed their faith in works as Paul asserts uh, later in this uh, in the same chapter in verses 8 to 9 <coughs> 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 to 9 he says for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They turned turned from idolatry to serve the Lord. That was their work of faith. That was part of their work of faith. And it was plainly evident uh, even to other churches. Well, do we display the evidence of faith in practical ways? Uh, What evidence is there in your life and mine that we are truly servants of the Lord and that our faith is genuine? Well, the second thing for which the missionaries gave thanks to God for is the Thessalonians' labor of love. Uh, Point two, labor of love. Again, we'll firstly consider the grace itself and then the fruit of the grace. So what is love? What is love according to the Bible? The love that our text refers to here is is agape love. In other words, it's the kind of love that God demonstrates towards sinners. It's an unconditional type of love. It's the same kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 describes. Uh, it describes it as as long-suffering and kind, Uh, describes it as not self-seeking or selfish or self-centred, among many other things, describes it as as never-failing. God's love toward us is unconditional and undeserving, and this is the kind of love expected of believers towards others. This is the kind of love expected of us towards others. It's summed up well in 1 John chapter 4, Let me read some verses um, from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, let me read verses uh, 7 to 11 and then also verse 20. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Again, it's very clear, love is an indispensable grace. Without it, without love to God and love to others, You are not a believer. There's no evidence that you're a believer without love. Well, do you love God? Do you love others? What evidence is there that you do? Your love to God is manifested by your practical love towards others. Your love to God is manifested by your practical love towards others. How can we say we love God if we don't love our brothers and sisters? Well, Paul looked for evidence of that love in the Thessalonians by examining examining the fruit. He called it their labor of love, their labor of love. In other words, the labor that resulted from love. Now, what can we say about this word labor? (coughs) Uh, Firstly, note that there's uh, there's an escalation in the intensity of the fruit produced by faith to the fruit produced by love. Faith produces work, but love produces something more intense that requires more effort, more exertion. The fruit of love is labor for others. The Greek word for labor is also sometimes translated in the New Testament as as weariness and sometimes as trouble. And the implication is that love must show itself in acts that take exertion, uh, effort, Things that make us weary in serving the Lord and serving others in practical ways. The grace of love in a believer must show itself in practical actions, not by mere lip service. As we said, for faith, for the grace of faith. The letter of James again, again. um, Sorry, the letter of James again helps us here. James two fifteen to sixteen. Says this, James two, fifteen to sixteen. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? James two, fifteen to sixteen. Love must display itself in practical practical actions, and we must toil and labor, we must work hard to the point of weariness in our service to the Lord and service for others. What did Paul say of the Thessalonians in relation to love? (coughs) Uh, He said in, in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 to 10, let me read those verses for us, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you selves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Paul told them, Paul told the Thessalonian believers that they knew they had to love one another and that they do love one another, even extending themselves to those in Macedonia. And he had already commended them on their labors produced by love in our text. But here, he urges them to increase more and more in love, to be uh, more zealous, to exert and expend themselves even more in love to God and others. What a challenge that is to them and to us. We ought to be increasing more and more in love We may be expressing uh, love towards others in practical ways In a wonderful way I trust that we are But let's increase more and more in that love for others Uh, Sadly, many, uh, in my experience, many professing Christians Can't be bothered lifting a finger for the sake of others Where is their love? Where is their labor and toil arising out of love? Do they really know the love of God? Do they really know that agape love which God has for sinners and for which we are to have towards one another? Where is the evidence of such love? Any one of us... Who does not serve others out of love Or to heed the strong warning warning of 1 John 3.14 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life Because we love the brethren He who does not love his brother Abides in death 1 John 3.14 Well the third thing For which the missionaries gave thanks to God for Is the Thessalonians' patience of hope patience of hope that's the way it's translated in New King James <clears throat> now it's clear it's very clear to us that faith and love are indispensable graces but what about hope do we really need hope in order to call ourselves Christians oh, or is it something that is you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice to have it's nice to have hope but is it really, is indispensable? We can certainly see the benefits of it, but is it really indispensable? This took some, uh, some thinking uh, on my part. How is it indispensable? Well, I would argue that it's indispensable, uh, uh, sorry, I would argue that it is indispensable and it has to do with persevering in the Christian life. Without hope, we would not persevere. Now, this is true in the natural realm, isn't it? If you have no hope, you give up. When someone tells you that you're hopeless at something, you become discouraged and can easily give up. If you can't see the light at the end of a tunnel, you give up. A person faced with illness, if he or she thinks that there is no hope of a cure or or no hope of a, a bright future, will give up. This is true in the natural realm, but it's also true of hope, in the sense that the Bible uses it. How does the Bible use it? Well, one writer, <coughs> excuse me, one writer helpfully describes biblical hope as desirable expectation. He describes it as desirable expectation. It's something desired and something that is expected to happen with certainty. It's not merely desire because you may desire something that you don't expect, uh, such as becoming wealthy. Uh, a lot of us may desire to become wealthy, but for most of us that simply isn't going to happen. Uh, <clears throat> nor is it merely expectation because you may expect something to happen which is, uh, which is not desirable, um, such as exams for you students out there. You don't desire exams, but you know they're going to come. Well, biblical hope is to have an expectation that something desirable will happen with certainty. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope the weather will be good tomorrow or I hope my, my team wins or a suitable job comes comes up soon. It, it's a des- desirable expectation that something will, without doubt, occur. <clears throat> now, this is... Difficult and rare in the natural realm because we live in an uncertain world and we're not in control of everything that happens. Uh, we, we let ourselves down and people let us down even when they sincerely want to keep their word and do what they say they would because they're not in control of all things. I'm, I may have a certain hope that my son... We'll mow the lawn next Saturday. But if, if he falls ill or, or, or rains heavily, well, that hope disappears. But When it comes to God's word, that hope is a certainty. God will do what he says. So we can say with certainty, my hope is in the Lord's coming to take me to be with him forever. So wh- why is hope uh, an indispensable grace? Well, it's because without hope, it would be difficult, difficult if not impossible, to persevere in the Christian walk. In the natural realm, if you have no hope, you give up. It's also true in the spiritual realm. If you have no hope, you'll give up, especially in the face of persecution, which the Thessalonians experience. Uh, This is why, uh, sorry, this is what uh, Paul was pleased with, when Timothy reported back to him that they were standing fast in the Lord. Now in our text <clears throat> in our text Paul speaks of the patience of hope. The word translated as patience can also be translated as uh, patient continuance, patient waiting, uh, endurance, constancy, steadfastness. It speaks of something, of persisting in something patiently without giving up. Uh, Persisting in something patiently without giving up. So our text refers to the patience or endurance or steadfastness that is born or or is produced out of hope, out of that desirable uh, expectation of uh, something certain happening. How does... Patience, or endurance or steadfastness result from hope. Well, ha- having hope produces the required steadfast commitment to uh, to pursue it. If we think that by taking our medicine uh, daily and exercising vigorously we will overcome our illness, we will persevere at it. If we think that we will eventually find employment if we knock on enough Doors or send enough e- uh, applications, we will persist at it. having hope enables us to persevere, and of course, for the believer, there is always hope, even in the midst of the worst of difficulties in life uh, illness, uh, unemployment, marital problems, financial difficulties, etc etc. There is always hope because we can look to our Lord Jesus Christ who, who cares for every aspect of our lives and we look to eternal things not merely the things of this life so the believer always has hope and God's grace helps him or helps her to continue in that hope he or she doesn't need to despair and give up in any set of circumstances and does not need to contemplate such things as as suicide which may be a temptation for the unbeliever who has no eternal hope Or even for the believer who has lost some of that hope. If we believe that the Lord will keep his promises and preserve us despite the persecutions and hardships of life, then we'll remain faithful to him no matter what comes. Having biblical hope, having that biblical, uh, sorry, that desirable expectation will keep us committed to living the Christian life. Just as the Thessalonians hope of a desirable future with the Lord, despite the persecution difficulties they're under, just as that kept them steadfast in their walk, so biblical hope keeps every believer steadfastly committed to walking with the Lord. Biblical hope also produces patience in terms of a quiet, uh, peaceful mindset that the outcome will be okay. Just imagine that you're on a, a large aircraft that begins to experience a lot of turbulence and, and you begin to fret. Um, well, that fear will be laid when you hear the captain announce that the plane is uh, flying through a, a large air pocket and that things will settle in just a minute. Your heart begins to relax and you wait patiently for the turbulence to to die away. Why? Well, it's because you now have hope. Someone who knows better than you, who flies commercial aircraft, who's experienced with these kinds of things, has told you that there will be a good outcome. So you patiently endure the difficulty and you wait for the desirable outcome. You have a desirable expectation that the plane... Will return to a, a smooth flight pattern, despite the present circumstances. And that was true of the Thessalonian believers. That the fruit of their hope, of their biblical expectation, was of a was a, a steady uh, and patient endurance, despite their difficult circumstances. And it was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hope was in the Lord Jesus Christ in His second coming, which is frequently mentioned in the letter. Their patience is specifically mentioned by Paul in the second letter to these believers in uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, (coughs) verses 3 to 4, where he says this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. We are bound to thank God always For you brethren as it is fitting Because your faith grows exceedingly And the love of every one of you all Abounds toward each other So that we ourselves boast of you Among the churches of God For your patience and faith In all your persecutions and tribulations That you endure See they exhibited Patience in the midst Of persecution It's hope That produced this patience The hope alongside faith and love is an indispensable grace if we are to persevere in the Christian life so I need to ask the obvious question do you have a certain hope uh, an, a confident expectation of God's promises in terms of the forgiveness of, of your sins in terms of his second coming in terms of a blessed future in heaven in terms of an eternal, uh, of, of living uh, eternally in His presence, do you have hope, biblical hope, in the promises of God? Hope is an indispensable grace, whom we are to nurture it and develop it in order to persevere in our Christian walk. <clears throat> well, how do we do so? We do so by the knowledge of God's word, by by knowing and believing His promises. Which will stand us in good stead Especially as difficult days may be ahead of us as believers In an increasingly secular society Well Paul, Silas and Timothy gave thanks to God For the evidence of these three indispensable graces And, and to conclude his statement Paul says that the, that the ultimate uh, overarching uh, reason for their thanksgiving Was that they were chosen and saved by God So he concludes in verse 4 of our text, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. There's no time to uh, go into this, but simply to note that Paul says that he, along with Silas and Timothy, uh, knew that God had chosen them. The implication is that they knew that that the Thessalonians were chosen for salvation because of the evidences of grace in their lives, which is plain to see and so they gave thanks to God there's no greater reason there's no greater reason for giving thanks to God than this that he has chosen to love forgive and to bless sinners like us even though we are sinners who deserve his just condemnation well let me uh, let me mention two applications before we conclude our sermon this morning <coughs> Just two applications firstly uh, I trust that you've been challenged to, so, to show the evidence of grace in your lives the evidence in terms of the work of faith the labor of love and the patience of hope but, but how, do we, how do we show and grow in these graces? It, is it a matter of producing more fruit? Well yes it is we need to produce more fruit but we, we produce more fruit by growing in the grace, in the graces themselves when we nurture and strengthen the root uh, the um, faith, love and hope then we will find more fruit will result and therefore works of faith will increase if our faith grows stronger labors of love will increase if we grow in love patience and endurance will increase if our hope becomes more certain and sure that, that must be our focus how do we do that? We do it by using more effectively the means of grace uh, In other words, those means, those methods, those ways Given by God that help us to grow in them Which is to place ourselves under God's word Under its teaching and preaching uh, And by reading and studying and meditating upon it And discussing it with, with one, another, one another With other believers in a, in a helpful and meaningful way and the means of grace also includes other things, such as prayer and, and the fellowship of God's people who encourage and help us to grow in grace. <clears throat> the second application is this. Do we give thanks to God for the evident fruits of grace in the lives of fellow believers? Do we attribute praise and thanks to God for these things? Now, we often pray for one another for our circumstances, don't we? If we're praying for grace and help in some difficult uh, trial, uh, sickness, financial difficulties, and so on. We pray for one another in terms of our da- tasks and duties, be they uh, spiritual ones or, or or things perhaps related to, uh, to work or domestic issues. And we ought to pray for these things. But do we ever... Stop and give thanks to God for what we see in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Do we ever give thanks to God for the love that is evident in so-and-so's life? Or for the patience that we see in him? Or for the diligent service that she renders? And so on and so forth. What about giving thanks to God for the work of salvation in someone's life? Do we thank God that he chose so and so for salvation and how he specifically brought our brother or our sister to a place of repentance and faith <clears throat> well to conclude i trust that we've seen that faith love and hope are indispensable graces that every believer must possess to some measure and we've seen <clears throat> we've seen i trust that we've seen that there must be evidence of these graces through the fruit produced by them. Trust that we've seen that we ought to give thanks to God for the presence of such graces in the lives of fellow believers. Well, May God give us the grace to implement all these changes, whatever changes and challenges are necessary in our lives, that we may honor Him and live more holy lives for Him. Amen.